Thank you, Brent, for leading our singing, for making it up the stairs and down. Um, Brent just recently had surgery on his knee. I asked him, I said, do you want to just uh, stay up here, you know, on the stage with me while I preach? And he said, no, I don't want everybody to see me fall asleep. <laughs> so I appreciate that, at least. I'd like to see him stretched out there on the old deacon's bench, but... Um, yeah, we're glad that uh, he was able to get up and down this morning and uh, pray for his recovery. Happy New Year. I mean, what a, what a great morning it is. Uh, New Year's is like, it's just like the morning of all mornings. It's the morning, uh, on one hand, it's just, a, it's just another day, right? It's just another day like any other day. But on the other hand, it is the morning of all mornings. Uh, you know, Jeremiah the prophet said that God's mercies are new every morning, and we have that promise to claim, but there's something about New Year's Day. It's like the morning of, of the whole year. We have this, this chance to, to be better, to do more, to, to be more like Christ, to reach more people, to, to live up to um, some of those things that maybe we, we didn't live up to this past year. Um, so on that hand, it's, it's a beautiful day. I, I've never been really one to make a lot of New Year's resolutions. You know, if, if you find that there's a problem in March or April or June, you need to, you know, change it right then. Don't wait. You know, we're, we're really good about deciding on Thursday or Friday that we're going we're gonna to start something that, well, I, I'll start that on Monday. That just makes more sense, doesn't it, to start at the first of the week? Uh, we're, we're really good at that, but, but there is something to be said for resolving to be better, to do more, to, to, to be more like Christ. Um, I looked up the, the top resolutions um, that people make every year, uh, 10 most common resolutions, and among them are uh, to read more, to travel more. Um, people want to quit smoking, to save more money, uh, to learn a new skill, or to learn a new hobby, to exercise more, and then drum roll, please, to lose weight. That's, a, that's the New Year's resolution for so many. If you've never had to make that resolution, that ticks me off a little bit. But for, for many of us, that's, always, that's been a New Year's resolution. Uh, one woman, she walked into... Uh, the bathroom at home, and she saw her husband stepping on the scales, and he was sucking in his stomach. And she thought to herself, he thinks he's going to weigh less by sucking in his stomach. So she said to him rather sarcastically, she said, you know that's not going to help. And he said, yes, it is. That's the only way I can see the numbers. Sometimes that's the only way we can see the numbers. Often, this time of year, after kind of overindulging during the holidays, and I'm talking about going all the way back to Thanksgiving up through Christmas, we kind of overindulge, right, that, that whole time. But then we make resolutions to change our habits, to change our, our way of life. And a new year gives us an opportunity to start fresh, to better ourselves, but Come the middle of January, sometimes January 2nd or 3rd, we just kind of toss it all out the window and we go back, we go back to our old ways, our old way of life. 
I heard a man about a man who, who moved into a retirement community. He was going to spend the rest of his life there. It wasn't long until he had made a number of new friends among the new residents that he was living with, and there was one lady that he was especially attracted to, and she was kind of attracted to him as well, so they spent a lot of time together. And finally, one evening after dinner, he asked her to marry him. He proposed and asked her to marry him. Well, the next morning, he woke up, and he remembered the proposal, but he couldn't remember if she'd said yes or no. Have you heard this? Well, he goes to her, and he says, I, I am so embarrassed. But he said, I, I remember proposing to you last night, but I, I can't remember if you said yes or no. And she said, oh, thank goodness. She said, I remember the proposal, and I remember saying yes, but I couldn't remember who asked me. <laughs> Sometimes that's sort of like our resolutions, isn't it? Our New Year's resolutions. We, it's so easy. It's so easy to forget. To forget the commitments, the resolutions we make at New Year's. But there is one resolution that I want us to make as a church, as individuals, but as collectively the body of Christ here in this place. And that is to be passionate, to be passionate about telling people about God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity this year to start fresh, to maybe do some things that we didn't do last year, to do them better, maybe to do them for the very first time. And I want us to tell people that Jesus can offer them forgiveness. He can offer them freedom from guilt, a hope for eternity, and the power to deal with our present circumstances. And we desire to tell them that this is not something that you can work for, not something that you can earn, but it is the gift of God, the free gift of God. So here's the New Year's resolution I want to encourage the Northside Church to make for 2023. That just sounds odd, doesn't it? 2023. That sounds so weird. But here we are. Let's resolve to share Jesus Christ with people. It's really that simple. We've shared over the last several weeks, preaching through 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we've also talked about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, beginning there in verse 19, Jesus said, Therefore go into all the world and make, what? Disciples. Make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus Christ wants us to resolve to share our faith and to go into the world and teach people about him. And you say, well, Rodney, I can't go into all the world. But literally what, what the original language just says there is go. And, and it's, a, it's, a present, it's a present tense verb that, that really just means as you go, as you are going through life. We always think, well, I can't go to Africa. I can't go to Korea. I can't go to South America. I just, I can't do that. I'm, I'm afraid of flying. I couldn't even get on an airplane. Jesus is just telling his disciples, as you're going, as you go through life, as you're going to work, 
as you're going to school, as you're taking your kids to soccer practice or dance or jazz or ballet, as you're living life, as you're going, make disciples, teach people, tell them the good news about Jesus. So how do we fulfill the resolution? I want to share briefly this morning some traits that we can develop as Christians so that we can share our faith tactfully with the people around us. So here's number one. First of all, if we're going to share Christ, people must see in us a sincerity. They need to see sincerity. James chapter 3, verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. See, what people need to see in us as Christians more than anything else is that we are sincere about our faith, that we really believe this stuff. Acts chapter 2 tells us about the very first church and how it grew and how it won so many people to Christ. And you know what Acts chapter 2, verse 46 says about the church? It says that they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Glad and sincere hearts. There is nothing that turns people off to the gospel more than phony Christians, more than just seeing people that are fake. A major temptation for us is to try to cover up, to try to be deceptive, to try to pretend that we're holy. Years ago, Reader's Digest shared a story about a lady. You guys remember Reader's Digest? I used to love that. I used to, my, my, my folks used to get the, a subscription to Reader's Digest. And when I was a kid, I'd go out to the mailbox, and if the Reader's Digest was there, I would go back in and I would read um, Laughter, the Best Medicine. That's the very first thing. You did it too. Uh, and then I would try to memorize some of these jokes and tell my mom. Um, if you've ever seen my mom, she loves to tell a joke, but she's terrible. She, she tells the punchline first, and then she's, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. And mom, it's too late. It's too late now. But I would, I would read Laughter, the Best Medicine, and then I would go to um, Life in These United States. You remember that? That was supposed to be humorous, you know, uh, stories that, that were true. And then I would go to humor and uniform. You kind of see the pattern here. I always wanted to read all the funny stuff. Humorous things that happened to men and women in, in the service, but, but they were supposed to be true. And then after that, I didn't, I didn't care much else about Reader's Digest. But that's, that's what I wanted to read. Well, Reader's Digest carried a story years ago. And you have to understand, this was before cell phones, okay? Um, way before cell phones. So a lady, she goes to visit her friend some like 50 miles away. She goes and she spends the day with her friend. When she comes back out and it's time to go home, she realizes that she's locked the keys in the car. She went inside and she used her friend's telephone and she called her husband and she said, I've locked the keys in the car. And he was just so agitated. And he said, well, just hang out and I'll bring my keys. And so he's going to have to drive 50 miles just to take the extra set of car keys. Well, in the meantime, the lady goes back out and she realizes that one of the back doors is unlocked. 
And, it's, and she, so she immediately runs in the house. She calls him, but, but he's already left. This is pre-cell phone days. You guys remember landlines with that long cord, you know, that you could walk around? She goes in and she calls, but he's already left. Her friend says, what are you going to do? He's going to be so angry with you when he realizes that he drove all this way for nothing. She says, I'm going to do what any red-blooded American wife would do. She goes out and she locks the door, slams it shut, right? She's not going to tell him. She's not going to say that, that that door is unlocked. She's going to try to hide it. She's going to try to cover that up. We are so good at trying to do that. It's hard to try not to cover up our imperfections. We're so used to putting on masks uh, to make others think that we're better than we really are. But no one in this room is perfect. And we will attract the world, I think, by simply being open and honest about who we are. The way to influence your friends who don't know Christ is not by leaving the impression that you never fail or that you never stumble. But if we're going to influence this community for Christ, we need to be honest. We need to be honest with ourselves first. But we also need to be honest and open with the world and openly admit that we're no better than anybody else. This church is full of imperfect people. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. I hadn't been here very long before I recognized that. And I think you guys have realized that about me as well. If you're here today, you're new to this church, maybe you're visiting with us, I want to tell you that you're sitting in, a, in the midst of a bunch of folks that are imperfect, that are sinners. And I think most of us would admit that if it weren't for Jesus, we'd be in really big trouble. Am I right? So we need to be sincere. We need to be honest. If, if we're going to fulfill this resolution to share our faith with others, we also have to have a passionate conviction. A passionate conviction. Someone once said that, that one man with conviction is worth more than 99 with opinions. So I looked up conviction. Dictionary.com says conviction is a fixed or a firm belief. Something that is fixed or a firm belief. Acts chapter 17, we read uh, that the Apostle Paul entered the city of Athens. And it says that while Paul was waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Historians tell us that there in the city of Athens during this day, there were some 30,000 statues built to represent some 30,000 different gods. I've actually walked the street in Athens where Paul walked. I was blessed to take a trip to Athens with a dear friend of mine almost 20 years ago now. I guess it's been 20 years. But I've walked that street, and I've actually seen pedestals uh, on the side of the street that still exist there where some of these idols uh, were, were sitting. Paul probably took a tour of the city while he was was there in Athens to get to know more of what the city was like, and it sickened him to see all this pagan worship uh, taking place. The Bible says he was distressed, greatly distressed at what he saw. Why do you think Paul was so distressed by what he saw? I'm going to tell you. It's because Paul was convicted. He was convinced that there was only one 
true and living God. He was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. He was also convicted that he had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was convinced that his life would never, ever be the same again. And so to see all of that idolatry, that pagan worship, it sickened him. It it distressed him. If you don't believe what you're saying, then people will know that you're a fake. Your belief in Jesus has to be passionate in order for it to be contagious. It's got to be something that comes deep out of your soul. In Jeremiah chapter 20, the prophet, he described the words of God as a, as a fire in his heart. Um, Brent, I know, Brent, wake up, wake up. Brent, <laughs> Brent's been teaching Jeremiah um, last quarter, and he's, and he's starting again. You know this better than anybody. Jeremiah, he had it rough. I mean, being a, being a prophet of God in the Old Testament was a tough gig. I mean, it wasn't something that, that you just lined up and said, hey, I want to do that, because so often uh, the prophets were maligned and they were abused. They were laughed at, mocked at. Jesus said, you know, uh, about the prophets that, Jerusalem, you, you killed the prophets. You stoned those that were sent to you. I, Jeremiah was no different. I mean, he, he took it on the chin every day, mocked, laughed at because of what God had told, the words that God had told him to share. Uh, when he did that, he, he was afflicted, he was mocked, he was, he was abused, beaten. And, it, and it's almost as if Jeremiah says, you know, I, I just, I tell myself I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm not going to speak the words of God anymore. But then he says his word is... Uh, in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. It's as if the words that God had given him to speak, even when he tried to say, I I won't say this anymore. I can't speak it anymore. I'm tired of the abuse. I'm tired, but I can't help myself. I've got to. It's like a fire in my bones that I can't contain. That's the kind of conviction We need to motivate us to share Christ. Jesus is in our hearts. It's a fire that just will not stop burning. You guys remember that old song by the the Pointer Sisters? Kind of dating myself this morning. I just keep talking about the old days. That's a sign that you're really getting old, isn't it? Everything you talk about is just the old days. The Pointer Sisters had a song where they said, I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. I'm about to lose control, and what? I think I like it. You know the song. Yeah, you, you guys knew, know. What if, we had, what if we said this? What if this was our passion? I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. I'm about to share my faith, and I think I like it. Wouldn't that be a kick in the pants? Wow. Man, I love it. I'm getting worked up. That's the kind of conviction we've got to have if we're going to share our faith with people. You know, enthusiasm goes a long way. Enthusiasm goes a long way about anything, doesn't it? If you're excited about a movie you just saw and you tell people, uh, that, that, wants, that makes people want to go see it, right? If you go out and eat 
at a restaurant and you're excited and you tell somebody, uh, that kind of gets them excited about wanting to go eat at that restaurant, right? Enthusiasm uh, goes a long way about convincing someone, even about Jesus. If they see a passion in you, if they see a conviction in you, in order to fulfill our resolution, we've also got to, got to rely on the Spirit. Listen to me. We must rely on the Holy Spirit of God. If we're going to share Jesus, we can't do it just by our own human effort. We've got to have spiritual assistance to help us to win people to Jesus. That's why each of us must value prayer if we desire to speak to our friends about our faith. Before we speak to people about Jesus, we need for God to work on their hearts. We need for the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts and in their lives. Jesus said in John 15, 26, that it is the Holy Spirit that testifies to the world about God. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, every, every year when I go to Africa, for weeks and weeks before uh, our team begins uh, to make that journey, we began to pray and pray. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would go before us, that he would begin to work in the hearts and the minds of the people that, that we're going to talk to, and that he would soften their hearts, that he would soften uh, their, their minds, and, and, and they would be receptive now, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be receptive, but that's our prayer, that the Holy Spirit would go ahead of us and convict the hearts and minds of people so that when we bring the word to them, that, that they would receive that. God wants us to pray that the kingdom of heaven will expand on earth. That's God's will. John 14, 14, Jesus said, You may ask me for anything in my name, and what? I will do it. You can ask me for, he, he told his disciples, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you think God wants souls to be one for Christ? I mean, that's what he's told us, right? See, we talked about this when we were preaching through Thessalonians. What is God's will for my life? Well, there are some things maybe we're not really sure about, where I should live, what I should do. Should I marry? Should I stay single? Should I have children? You know, should I let my children uh, keep living? And, and those kind of things. And, and sometimes we're not sure. You, you know, I'm, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing, you know. Um, but sometimes we, we're not quite sure of what God's will is. We know for sure that it's God's will for us to share our faith. We know for certain that it's God's will for more and more people to come to the knowledge of Christ to come to repentance, to follow him. We know that's God's will, right? So when we pray, God, would your will be done? Would you let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do you think God's going to hear that prayer and answer that prayer? Oh, my goodness. You know he is. Because you're praying right in the very center of God's will. That's exactly what God wants to happen. If we're going to see people one to Jesus Christ, we're going to have to begin to pray for them. Often the most effective thing you can do to see a person come to Christ is to pray for them. Don't say a word. Just pray, 
deeply and passionately for them for a while. And then God's going to give you the opportunity to speak. That's what, that's what I've been sharing with you in our Four Fields discipleship training. When you have somebody on your relational map, you have four people at least, hopefully, prayerfully, four people that you know that are close to you, they're close to you, you have a relationship with them, but they're far from God. They don't have an intimate connection with God. And the first thing I've asked you to do is what? Pray. And then after you've prayed for them, what do you do? Pray some more. Pray. Pray. But there will come a time when you have to get off of your knees in prayer and then approach them. God's going to give you that opportunity. He's going to open that door because that's what he wants to happen. He wants you to share your faith after much prayer with that individual. Martin Luther years ago said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. And we need to be people of prayer. In order to fulfill our resolution to share Jesus, we also need a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. We're just, we're just too passive about sharing our faith. You know, there's a, there's a level of aggressiveness that, that sort of repels people. There's a level of aggressiveness that sometimes people exhibit about God and that sort of thing that, that, that repels people, that they just don't want anything to do with it. But you know what? I don't think that's our problem for the most part. I, that, that doesn't seem to be our problem. I think we're just, we're just too passive. We're so passive and nonchalant about sharing our faith that a lot of people may not even know we're Christians. They may not even know what it is that we believe, the things that we stand for. As I've shared with you on Wednesday nights in our discipleship training, a recent church study revealed that 97% of Christians, 97%, admitted that they had never shared their faith, never led anyone to Christ. What is, it, what is that a sign of? It shows that we're just too passive. We're too passive about lost people. We, we don't have a sense of urgency. As the Apostle Paul said, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in 20. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then he goes on to say, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. He says, we implore you. What does it mean to implore? It means to, it means to, uh, to plead with, to beg we implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled. That sounds sort of urgent, doesn't it? We implore you. There's a sense of urgency behind that. Let's never leave the impression that it doesn't matter whether or not somebody comes to Christ. We've got to acknowledge that time is passing and, and it's flying by. The older you get, the, the faster it goes. And that today, today, 
is the day of salvation. We've got to be urgent about telling people who are lost. Romans 10, 14 says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? You couldn't call on some, someone or something that you don't believe in. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? That's you and that's me. How can they hear unless someone tells them? Oh, our time has flown by this morning. It's, it's already past time to go. I want to tell you about a man named John Harper. I think some of you may have, have read about him in the past. He was, he was born back in the 70s. May 29th, 1872. He became a Christian. He was born into a, a family of Christians, and he'd already started preaching the gospel by the time he was 17 years old. He received training at the Baptist Pioneer Mission in London, and in 1896, he founded a church um, when he was 24 years old. That church is now known as the Harper Memorial Church. They began with 25 worshipers, and by the time he left, 13 years later, they had about 500 members. In 1912, Harper uh, was going to be the guest pastor of the Moody uh, Bible Church in Chicago. He was traveling there, and he was going to be their guest pastor for about uh, two or three months. <clears throat> he was traveling on a boat uh, with the name uh, the Titanic. Some of you may have heard of that boat. He was traveling with his six-year-old daughter. After the ship struck an iceberg, began to sink, he got Nana, which is what he called his, his little girl, he got her into a, a lifeboat, but apparently he made uh, no, um, no effort to follow her. But instead, he, read, he ran through the ship yelling this, women, children, and unsaved into the lifeboats. Women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Survivors reported that he, he then began witnessing, sharing his faith with anyone who would listen. He even continued preaching after he had jumped into the water and was clinging to a piece of wreckage. He'd already given his life jacket to someone else. Harper's final moments were recounted four years later at a meeting in Hamilton, Ontario, by a man who said this. He said, I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting all alone on a spar that awful night, the tide brought Mr. Harper of Glasgow, who was also clinging to a piece of wreckage, brought it, it brought him near to me. He said to me, man, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away, but strange to say, they brought him back a little while later. And he said, are you saved now? No, I said, I I cannot honestly say that I am. 
he said again, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after, he went down. And there, alone in the night, and with two miles of water underneath me, I believed. He said, I am John Harper's last convert. He was also one of only six people picked out of the water by the lifeboats. The other 1,522 were left to die. I don't want us to think about doctrine. I don't want us to debate theology. What I want us to think about is will we be as passionate as John Harper was? Will we have a sense of urgency like Harper had to tell people that they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 2023 holds that promise for us. 2022 is gone. And in a lot of ways, I'm I'm glad that, that the events of 22 are gone. 2023 is here, and there is nothing stopping us. Nothing. With God, I think I've read this somewhere, with God, all things are possible. If we will just let him use us, he will. If we will just let God have control of our lives, dying to self every day, surrendering our will to his will, he will use us in powerful ways. He will use us in ways that we can't even imagine yet. As 2023 unfolds, there will be things that will happen that we could not even imagine if we'll just give God our lives, trust him, ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. He'll use us. He will, if we're willing. Let's bow and pray. Father God, we love you. Father, we love being in your presence. We love being with your people, those that share this same precious faith. Father, we're asking you to lead us, to guide us by your spirit this coming year. Father, we realize that we're so inadequate in and of ourselves, but with you, all things are possible. Father, we want to set the bar so high We want to set the bar so high this year that there is no way that we will be able to achieve without your Holy Spirit. We want to to dream dreams that there's no way that they can come true except that you are in the middle of it. Father, help us. Help us to know (laughs) that you are greater that you are more. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, Father, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And let all the church say, Amen. Amen.